Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. Well, hi, and welcome to our Catechism class. We've been thinking about justification in our last lesson, how a sinner can be right before God. And we learned what justification is, the means by which we become righteous before a God who is holy, and thus how we can enter into a right standing with him. And we learned that justification is a legal term. We are declared righteous solely on the basis of the merit of Christ. In this lesson, we're going to look at Heidelberg Catechism, Question 60, to learn a little bit more about justification and how justification, or rather the relationship with God that it brings about, affects the life of the sinner who comes to Christ for salvation. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. Lord's Day 23, question 60, the Catechist asks us, How are you righteous before God? And our answer is, Only by truth faith in Christ Jesus. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to do all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Well, we're going to begin today with a reading from Romans chapter 3, where Paul teaches the believers in Rome and teaches us that everyone who lives in this world is a sinner, that there is no difference in any of us, yet he claims we are freely justified by God's grace, only through the redemption that we have in Jesus. But look, let's read the biblical text, Romans chapter 3, commencing to read at verse 23, and I'm reading from the King James Version. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past and through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Well, one thing's for sure. 
When a justified sinner, when a Christian looks at himself or herself, they know for sure that they can boast of nothing, that they are the unworthy recipients of God's grace, that there is nothing within them to merit their salvation, no works, no inherent goodness, only Jesus is the justifier of them who believe on him through faith. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 to 9, Paul writes that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And okay, let's begin to dissect what our instructor is teaching us in question 60. Let's look at my conscience and the word of God. And that really is the background to the catechist teaching here. My conscience. My conscience and your conscience often bother us, doesn't it? I'm sure you'll know exactly what that means. The catechist says, although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil. Now that's an important line in the answer. And the catechist is laying it on thick and heavy. Remember the historical context of the catechism. It was the intention of Elector Frederick, who commissioned the catechism, to unite two warring strands of Protestantism in his territories, the German Palatinate. There were the Calvinists on the one hand, and the Lutherans. And Ursinus, writing the catechism, steered a careful middle course between the two of them. He removed the Lutheran understanding of the sacraments, but he has included Martin Luther's doctrine of Simul Eustus et Peccator, the Lutheran and now Heidelberg doctrine that we are simultaneously worthless sinners and justified saints. Now that doctrine needs to be properly understood. Let's try to work it out. When we're saved, when we're regenerated, when we're justified, we do not stop sinning. Nor can we ever achieve a state of sinless perfection in this world. In fact, we're sinners right up until the day we die. I like the way that Kevin DeYoung puts this in his book on the Catechism, The Good News We Almost Forgot. DeYoung writes, On this side of heaven, we will always be sinning saints righteous wretches, and even on occasion, justified jerks. Well, that's true. Our catechist is correct to say that I am still inclined to do evil. But we must not confuse our status before God with our condition in this life, because we are inclined to sin in word, in thought, in deed. Our conscience accuses us. Now, you know what I mean. You can hear that inner voice saying to you, you see that thought you just had? That wasn't a Christian thought, was it? You see that envy, that bitterness? You see that wee wickedness that came out there? Or whatever. Our conscience will be saying to us, that means you can't really be a Christian, sure you can't, because Christians simply wouldn't think like that. Christians wouldn't do those things, they wouldn't act like that. Christians wouldn't have that kind of envy. Christians wouldn't have that kind of bitterness within them. And it's at times like this that we need to remember this very important doctrine. 
Your conscience may say, you're not a Christian. You can't be. You're not good enough. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't given enough to the church. You haven't worked hard enough. You haven't witnessed hard enough. You haven't improved your life enough. But God's word, on the other hand, says in Titus 3 and 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So here's your question. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God's inerrant, infallible word or your own deceitful, sinful heart? Way back in the 19th century, an Anglican minister's daughter, Charity Lees Bancroft, wrote these beautiful words. When Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Our justification, our status before God, is not cancelled by our conscience, Our conscience, on the other hand, simply points us to him, drives us to Christ for forgiveness and pardon and repentance from our sins. So there's a usefulness in the accusations of the conscience. When we sin, it should drive us in sorrow to Jesus for his forgiveness. And there's a reason for that too. You see, when we're regenerated, we're given a new nature. Here's Paul again in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, a new has come. That's the difference, or rather that's one of the differences between an ungodly person and a believer. The ungodly person will frequently enjoy their sin. They will revel in it. That's why they flaunt their sin in their dress and in their activities and in their political lobbying. It's why we have to suffer the indignity of having pride parades and drag queen story times. But the Christian is different in this respect. We have a new nature, a new heart that makes us loathe our sin and want to, or rather long to, obey the word of God and the law of God to live to please the God who loved us and who saved us. Now that brings us to Paul's classic passage on this subject in Romans chapter 7. Let's read it. Romans chapter 7 verse 21 and I'm reading from the ESV. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right evil lies close at hand for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So our catechist has taken Luther's classic doctrine 
and he has used it not to condemn us for our worthlessness as Christians, but to comfort us when tempted and tested and to drive us to the word of God to depend on God's infallible word that teaches us that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. So we mourn over our sin and we repent of our sin and we seek God's help to live in obedience, pleasing the Lord in all of our ways. It is God who is active at our justification. The sinner is entirely passive. God takes the initiative. And the first important doctrine that we have to understand is that we are saved by a righteousness that is outside us. So the Catechist says, God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ. He sees nothing of worth in me. Ephesians 2 and 8 to 9, those very famous words, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We depend on the righteousness of another, of Christ. We call this alien righteousness. Here's R.C. Sproul, because he can explain it much better than I can. Imputation means that the righteousness of Jesus is counted for me the moment I believe in Jesus Christ. That's what Luther said. That's an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's apart from me. That's not mine inherently, it belongs to Christ. And what Christ does is, when I put my trust in him, he imputes or counts to me his righteousness. And on the basis of that imputed righteousness, God declares me just right now. So if I die right now, I go to heaven right now, because I've got all the righteousness I will ever need to get there, namely the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Well, I did say he explains it so much better than me. The Catechist adds to that, he grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. Now think of the practical benefits of that understanding of justification, this understanding of alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not within me, but is outside me. Well, firstly, it's a warning that we cannot search within us for any kind of peace with God. Away back in the late 1980s, I was preaching at a service in an evangelical church. And I was told that there would be two singers, two sisters actually, who would sing a duet during the service. Now, I can't remember what they sang. But what one of them said before they sang has stuck in my mind ever since. When I asked them to come up and sing, one of the sisters introduced the song. Now, that's usually the most dangerous part. And it's one of the reasons why we don't have singers in our Reformed churches. Just one, mind you. There's others. Here's what she said. Something like this. This song is about getting right with God. And to get right with God, we all need Jesus. And everyone has Jesus inside them. And all you have to do is to find him and pull him out. 
I'm leaving a wee pause. I hope you're as shocked as I am. By the time I'd worked out what she had said, the heresy, the blasphemy of it, the song had actually started. I had to amend the sermon that day to explain that no, Jesus is not inside everybody, and no, you do not have to find the inner Jesus. In more modern society, we hear people being taught to follow your heart, to be yourself, making their inner self their own God. In 1995, the band M People sang, You've got to search for the hero inside yourself. Search for the secrets you hide. Search for the hero inside yourself until you find the key to your life. Well, I'm sorry, folks, but there simply is no hero inside you waiting to be found. When you look inside yourself, there's a deeply sinful, flawed character, and looking inwardly will never help you to find the key to anything. For the Christian, a correct understanding of the doctrine of alien righteousness will prevent us from falling into that self-centred trap. We don't find peace with God in our inner self. We find it outside of ourself, in the crucified, risen, ascended Christ. And also, that doctrine of alien righteousness teaches us not to rely on our inner feelings. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days when I am on top of the world. Well, one or two a year. And then there's other days where I'm pretty down in the dumps. Life's circumstances greatly affect how we feel. And again we're reminded that our justification does not come from within us. It is external to us. It comes from Christ, from his atoning work, and it is declared and confirmed in the word of God. So even in the days when we feel absolutely awful, our salvation is never affected because it doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon Christ and his righteousness. So we've learned, first of all, that we are saved by a righteousness that is outside us, alien righteousness. But the second thing we need to learn in this part of the catechism is that our response to God's saving work in Christ is passive. So the Catechist says, If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Grace is God's free gift or it wouldn't be grace. And look at what this gift consists of. The Catechist talks about receiving Christ's perfect satisfaction, Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Salvation is a gift, so we simply take it. We cannot earn it or deserve it or work for it. It is a gift, and a gift costs us nothing. And our response when someone offers us a gift is simply to receive it, believing it to be ours. So Augustus Toplady wrote those famous words, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, weary come to thee for rest. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. (laughs) 
Well, let's close. Well, do you remember the famous words of Paul to the Philippian jailer? When the jailer was under such deep conviction of sin, when he realised what he had done, he asked Paul and Silas, What must I do to be saved? Many a person thinks they have to do something in order to be saved. Paul's answer put him right. In Acts 16 and 31, he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Today, if God has convinced you that you're a sinner, if you're anxious about your eternal destiny, don't look inside yourself for help. Turn to Christ. Believe in him. Believe that on the cross he bore all your sins in his own body in the tree, that he took all the punishment for sin demanded under the law, and God in his grace and mercy will give you the faith that you need to believe and repent, and you will be born again. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.